listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, good afternoon, Citizens Church. It is always a joy to come and to, to share and worship with you guys. And I truly, truly have a, a growing love ever increasingly for your pastor. Uh, I guess I'm supposed to, when we go to lunch, encourage him, but he always ends up encouraging me a whole lot more than I encourage him. But it's a joy to, to share. And as you, as you started off, well, one, that we get to spend this beautiful Lord's Day together. The second is that it is Father's Day. So to you fathers out there, happy Father's Day. And then the next one is, is Juneteenth. Now, it may be new here. We have celebrated Juneteenth for decades in Texas and Louisiana. So it's not a new holiday for us. There's parades, there's celebrations, there's festivals, there's all types of things going on, particularly I know in San Antonio, but also my relatives on the bayou in Louisiana. So that was not just freedom for the slaves, but if one is free, we are all free. So we can rejoice in this, in this day. It was sad that it had to happen, but as we said, God is sovereign. And we're going to see that he does work all things for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so also I want to congratulate my granddaughter, Miss Haley, on her, and, uh, on her engagement. EJ's not here. And, and thank you guys, too, because you guys are great contributors to our, our after-prison uh, ministry, Jumpstart, who Haley is one of our, our board members, and Chris and Jen aren't here. Chris is our new director now for our inside program for Jumpstart, and I think they're celebrating their first anniversary. So I guess they may be off doing that, okay? And so again, I, I, love, I love coming here. What was that? <laughs> and you know, just like as far as Juneteenth is concerned, and we can look at, at history, and we can see how history is just not really told in the way that it should be. And so when we, when we look at history, when we look at all the things that are missing, that can cause a lot of struggles. And it continually caused struggles, and even within the church. And so, you know, ever increasingly, every year in America, we're becoming more and more and more theologically illiterate. Do we know what this book says? And then forgive me, I didn't introduce my grandson, Connor. He's been here before. And then our friend Fred and one of our fellow students at BTS, Mildred, Mildred Lanier, my daughter and son-in-law, they may be coming. His children came in from Atlanta to see him for, for Father's Day. And so when we, as we get into this journey that you guys are taking in, in Romans, and I did listen to, uh, to Jason Stevens' sermons yesterday. And so you know, he was talking about the suffering. And because we do have a great hope in this broken world, our hope, our peace, our salvation is in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so now you just read the verses. And so as we look at these verses, and if you think about what Jason preached last week, the focus, and, and, and Paul is always making us aware of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as we look at eight, the focus is really more so on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do 
for each one of us. So as we suffer, we don't suffer alone. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And if you think back in John, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, he said, I'm going to leave you alone, but not completely. I have to leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. And he is another one just like me is what Jesus was telling his disciples, except Jesus was ubiquitous. He can only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit can share and be with with each of us. And so when we look at what Paul is saying here. He says in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way, the spirit helps our weakness. Now, we all struggle with different things. And our weaknesses in our relationship to God. We have physical weaknesses. We have emotional weaknesses. What is happening in your life right now? What do you pray for? Why do you pray? Do you know how to pray? What do we say? Is there a proper context to prayer? I know for me, every morning when I get up, that's my quiet time. And I'll, I'll pray. I'm Actually, I was reading through Romans before Pastor Justin asked me to to preach these verses. And so I'll have my reading time. I'll have my quiet time. But inevitably, your mind will just kind of get off the highway and you'll get stuck in the woods. And so I'm thinking about all the things that I have to do today. I'm thinking about all the things that I should have done that I didn't do. As you go through and you you pray for different people and then all of a sudden something else pops in and Your mind kind of wanders. But what we have here is that it says the Holy Spirit intercedes. It says, well, we know not how to pray as we should. So we can struggle. I mean, I know people that are great prayer warriors. I'm not necessarily one of those people. I can pray, but I struggle at, at times. And so, but what happens here? Well, Paul is telling us that, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit knows what is going on. And these groanings, these groanings are our size. There's words that we can't necessarily express, the things that we necessarily want to say. What is going through our, through our minds as we are praying? But it says here that the Holy Spirit knows our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit knows our inadequacies and those things that we want to say to God. So the Holy Spirit is interceding and really he is praying for us. He is saying the words that we may want to say, but just don't necessarily know how to say them. And it says that he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Then he says, and he searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, following this, and it says, and he. Now, he is referring to God. So we already know that God knows our every thought. He knows every word before it proceeds from our mouths. But it also, God knows the Holy Spirit. God knows the Son. They are one. Three persons, one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it says that they are one And Deuteronomy tells us that, that the Lord our God is one God. And we see in in Genesis, he says, let us make man in our image. So that us is Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together. And so it says here that 
He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. So God knows our hearts. Again, he knows the deep recesses. We can't hide from God. David tells us no matter how far go, how dark, how light, that God knows everything. We cannot flee from God. And when it says that he knows the hearts and what the mind of the spirit is. So because they are one, three in one, the Holy Spirit, as he is interceding for us, God knows already what's happening within the Holy Spirit. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interceding for us, one to another, all crying out to the Father for us. Okay? Do we understand that? And again, that's hard to wrap our, our heads around as we are praying, but the Holy Spirit is there, again, to help us along. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us the called out ones according to what? According to the will of God. Now, the struggle there is, as we pray, as we get into a more intimate, personal relationship with God, we seek to know God's will. Quite a few years ago, I was teaching in, in Uganda, and we had a student there, and his father was like the bishop of one of the largest Pentecostal churches in Uganda. And so as I was teaching, and again, now they're a shame culture, so it's very easy to, to embarrass them. And as a rude American, I'm very good at at doing that. And so he had said something. And I said, no, that's not necessarily what that what that means. Now, the other guys, the other students in the class, they know me. And so they were saying, look, he wasn't trying to hurt your feelings, but how you interpreted that was was in error. And so that afternoon, we went into the library, helping them to do research and do some studying. So I was preaching that Sunday. So I was working on my on my sermon, he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I do a word study. I look at the history. I look at the culture. I look at all these things surrounding the passage. And he said, why are you doing that? Don't you trust the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, I trust the Holy Spirit, but I don't trust me. And so when we get to seek the will of God, we've got to know, do I confuse my will with God's will? Am I asking something for me? But that might not be what God has in store for me. So we have the Holy Spirit to intercede, to help us, to help us to seek God's will. But also, maybe he's doing a little interpreting there for us to God. So in the content of our prayers, we have nice prayers. We have necessary prayers. Do we have selfish prayers? Do we have sincere prayers? Are we truly seeking God's will? Are we seeking to mix? Well, God, you know, I really, really want this, but that might not be. In God's will. We live in this world, in this climate of health, wealth, and prosperity. We have the emerging seeker churches. I call them the happy, the happy churches where sometimes the teaching can be a little bit off and that in this world of stuff, we like stuff. In this world where some teaching will say there should not be any suffering. There should not be any pain once you become a Christian. Now, we know that that's not true at all. And so if I'm believing that, then how do I respond? Now, again, today is Father's Day. A couple of weeks ago, another one of our students, he's a pastor in Aliceville. He pastors the Southern Baptist Church right across the street from the Presbyterian Church. And so I was preaching in Aliceville at the Presbyterian Church, and I walk out and you're shaking hands and you know, 
uh, Reverend Wilson, Charlie Wilson was coming. He goes, hey, Dr. James, shouting across the parking lot. Hey, Charlie. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, they were him and his family were in, were in uh, Pensacola for his mother-in-law's funeral. He was talking to his son on the phone. His son's 20 years old. He was the, uh, the manager for the Alabama basketball team, Charlie Pierce Wilson. And he suffered with seizures all of his life. While him and his dad were talking on the phone, Charlie fell. And he hit his head either on the bathtub or on the faucet. His father's still on the phone calling his son. He could hear his son dying on the other end of that phone. They were in Pensacola to attend the mother-in-law's going home service. Three days later, Charlie dies, 20 years old. So this morning, I, was, I sent him a, a text, his first Father's Day without his only son. There is suffering. There is pain in this world. There is, there is death. There are losses. There's a lot of things that are going to happen to us. And now how do I understand what God, what Paul is saying in this passage? And when I spoke to him right after his son died, he was rejoicing in that his son is home. He was rejoicing in that his son is with him. He won't suffer from seizures anymore. Now, if I don't have that perspective of really what God is saying, what does this book say? How do you handle that? How do you handle such a great loss? But again, there's going to be pain. But what is the condition of our hearts? Again, God knows the mind of the spirit. The spirit knows us. The spirit knows the will of the father. And so the Holy Spirit will lend his voice, he will translate, he will express, he will interpret our thoughts and prayers to the Father so that we can draw closer to the Father to get a clear, fuller understanding of what his will is. What does God want to do in our lives? He wants that fellowship. He wants that intimate relationship with him. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. We do that through our trust and our faith our dependence, and our hope within the Father. Now this one, this is a tough verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now as I was going back over this this morning, and I, I remembered I have a in my library at my house, I have this book called the most misused verses in the Bible. And there's a lot of them. And number six is, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. What happens there? I was listening to this person and they were doing some teaching and um, they said, well, this verse is always taken out of context because Nothing, I've never learned anything from anything bad or negative that has happened in my life. That's not what God is talking about here, that he's only talking about good things, because you don't learn anything from anything bad. And if bad things are happening to you, that's your fault, because you don't have enough faith. Now, is that what Paul, what God is intending in this, in these verses? This verse, again, sadly, is way, way, way taken out of 
out of context. So when tragedy, when suffering, when pain, when death, when losses occur, how do we understand this verse? Well, the first thing to understand is that Paul is talking to believers. I preached last week on Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 about the church. Okay, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so when Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, the same thing. He's talking to believers. He's not trying to evangelize. He's not trying to, to win people to Christ. He is talking to people that already have a relationship with Christ. How can all things work together for good? It's only for those whom God has called. He is talking to believers. Now, the thing here, and again, uh, as I was listening to Jason, he mentioned that, you know, what we're going through right now is going to be nothing compared to the great joy, the great joy that is set before us in glory. We can endure this. We can make it through this. There's going to be some tough times. There's going to be some difficult things. But what are we looking to? You know, in Hebrews, Jesus said that he suffered all the ridicule, the humiliation, the pain. Why? For the joy set before him to return to the Father. And so again, as we go through all these situations, where is our faith? Where is our hope? What are we trusting in in these times of trouble? Are we trusting in the things of man? Are we trusting in Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And this is where the intercession of the Holy Spirit comes in in our times of weakness. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that word, no, and there are multiple words in, in Greek for no. This one, uda, it's that we know intuitively, we know in our heads, we don't necessarily have a full understanding. The other word, gnosko, is that we know experientially. We know because we have gone through some things. But we do know, if we trust and have faith, that God works all things together. He's working all things collectively. You know, if you think about it again in, in 2 Corinthians, when, when Paul has this thorn, we don't know exactly what this thing is that's that's bothering Paul, a lot of speculation. But at the end of the day, in fact, if you will, turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 real quick. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And I'll jump up to 7. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, I'm going to tell you up front. If I had been to the third heaven, would I bother with you little people? Nah, I wouldn't even think about you guys. Okay, but that's why God gives us these thorns. You know, when you're, God will take away things from you. Before I was saved, I used to love to cuss. I would just cuss to cuss, just cuss for no reason. The first thing God took away from me was profanity. It's hard for me to even say anything like that, and it burns when you, when you hear it. But there's other things, okay, God said, I'm going to keep this on you so you know that you need me, okay? And so then Paul says, 
Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in our weaknesses, if we are trusting in God, then we can be strong. So this working together is not for everybody. This working together is exclusive. This working together is only for those who love God. And no matter what your status is in life, rich, poor, good looking, not good looking, skinny, fat, well built, whatever we are, we're going to have things happen in our lives. There's going to be some things to come into your lives. But do we believe what God's word says? Are these empty promises? Are these just words on, in this book on a piece of paper? You know, we have eternal security. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, again, according to his will, he hears us the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, do we know that we have requests which we have asked from him? We can go to God boldly. We can go to God with confidence. But we need to know what it is that we are asking for. And then 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is inspired. It is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. God is preparing you. He is working in you for whatever it is he may have <coughs> excuse me, in store <coughs> for you. You know, I'm, <clears throat> I never in my wildest imagination did I ever think that, I'm, that I would be doing what I'm doing now. That was not on my list of things to do. But God dramatically, like Paul, he knocked me off my horse and he led me in everything that I do over these. I was saved in 1997. I was 46 years old. And everything that I have done since then is not anything, nothing that I have planned or purposed. God has opened doors. He has shut doors according to his will. You know, even uh, Pastor Jess and I meeting, that was that was God. You know, we weren't on any, either of our radars <clears throat> just to happen. Was it an email or a phone call? I forget right now. I don't remember. But, and since that time, <laughs> our hearts have knit together. And then meeting Haley. You know, meeting, where is Daisy? Daisy has disappeared. Okay. <laughs> and, be, and then coming here. You know, again, that's the sovereignty of God. That is God's selection. And so what are we focused on? What are we believing? You know, Paul talks about this world, this evil age. We focus on self. There's a sociological term called meliorism that do we believe that man is going to fix everything? 
Well, scratch that off your list of things to do. Are you trusting in horses and chariots? Or are you trusting in God? As Christians, do we believe that all of Scripture is inspired and God breathed? That every jot and tittle, again, and it's profitable for every area of our lives. In that verse, when it says that, again, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, we need to be corrected. We need to be put back on the, on the narrow road. And so that God will make, he will make each one of us adequate. He will prepare us for whatever it is that he has in store for us. So again, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, now, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay, now let's just stop just for a, th for a second here. You know, take one of those. For those who love God. That's a qualifier. Only for those who love God and are called according to to God's purpose. Again, this is for believers. This is for the church. This is for those who have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. This is for those whom God has said, I will be your God and you will be my people, a people of God's own possession. Now, did you hear what I said? Now, if I was in a Baptist church, there would have been some shouting and amens in here. You guys are, well, I guess, kind of closet Presbyterians, kind of closet Southern Baptists. <laughs> you know, not Presbyterians. You have some Southern Baptist beliefs in here. I know where you went to school, Justin. Okay? So there's a calmness in here. But we can rejoice in this salvation. There you go. There you go. I would have had one time, I went, first time I, I preached it in front of minister, in front of a bunch of Baptist ministers. And I was at the Baptist Minister's Conference. And I said something, and one of the guys out there said, put your foot in it. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> and so they never let me forget that. But now I know. Okay, you're going to talk to me, I can talk back to you. Okay, so we are not alone. We are not making this walk by ourselves. We are many members, but we are one body. Amen. In 2019, I was the last time I was in Uganda, I was on a safari. And as we were driving through, you know, you always see animals in a herd. You don't see them necessarily by themselves because there's safety in numbers. Now, there was this giraffe. Now, I didn't realize as giraffes get older, their, their color turns from like a tan and a brown until they get dark. And so there's one giraffe out by himself. And our, the guide said, that's dinner. And I go, what? Yes, we call him dinner. Because he's out by himself. There's no way to protect him. When we are by ourselves, when we are not part of the body, when we are not fellowshipping and, and fellowshipping with one another, we're like that giraffe. We are dinner. We are a meal for the enemy, for the things that go on in our, in our heads. We need, I love the fellowship that you guys have here. Last time that Justin and I had lunch, we were talking about your trip to Atlanta with the men. That was incredible. I mean, I was here with a time before when you guys were talking about it, and I'm thinking, Lord, he's not going to have anybody show up for that. <laughs> I mean, I told him. We talked about that, and particularly men. Men don't do anything together. 
<coughs> you guys are an anomaly. <coughs> but it's a blessing. That truly is a blessing. I'm thinking, God, please help him. <coughs> don't hurt, don't hurt. Justin's a nice guy. Don't hurt his feelings. And I think even your wife said that too. <laughs> so again, we love God. Why? Because God first loved us. So what are we to do? Remember Mark, when the scribe came to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Let me see if I can trick Jesus up, which was foolish. How do you trick God? What did Jesus say? Well, he quoted the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our mind. The second is like the first from Leviticus 19, 18. To love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love God? How do we love each other? That's the dwell, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to, to put that into us. And so when God says, when Paul says that all things, God harmonizes that all. He puts all things together. For what? For our ultimate good. Work together. Now that word synergio in the, it means synergy, synergy coming together. Now this synergy that God is doing is he is putting things together. This is a continuing activity of the father directed toward those whom he has called. So this is ongoing. God is always working everything that happens in our lives for good. And Ephesians 1, 4, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In James 2, 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that word perfect and that word complete there is the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, when he says, you be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, we can't come anywhere close to being perfect as the father is. But that Greek word teleos means to be spiritually mature, to be morally blameless, walking out and working out our, our sanctification. So our love is rooted in God, having called us according to his purpose. He called, he appointed, he chose, he elect. Uh-oh, there's that bad word, that word elect, okay? I know, well, I know him, so I know elect is okay here. Okay, so God's divine will and purpose. Now, that's a hard word. As I said, you know, I, when God saved me, again, that was not on my list to do. I had a lot of things planned out as far as even what I was going to spend, what I was going to do, my next position as far as the, the company that I was with. But God, again, before the foundation of the world, had a plan for me. Okay? And again, as I said, every step over these years has not been mine. So God's divine will and purpose, God's kind intentions, by God's good pleasure, his grace, his mercy. How is that demonstrated? In Christ Jesus. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's providence works to his glory. So when we say that all things work together for good, it's crucial that we understand that's for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then for those whom he foreknew, another bad word, he also predestined, even a worse bad word, to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Now, God just didn't decide to choose. God has always, we look at Abraham, we look at Moses, we look at Joseph, we look at everybody in the Old Testament. But now all of a sudden we come to the New Testament. Well, God is bad. Why is he doing that? Okay, so who did God call? For those that he foreknew, he foreordained. The display of God's wisdom, his intelligence, his omniscience. Nothing that we could do or did. This is God's gracious self-determining from eternity to extend fellowship with himself to us undeserving sinners. Before human history, before the foundation of the world, God freely chose and ordained who would be his. This other word, predestined. Ooh. Another name for election. God's decision to save some from sin and the corresponding decision not to save some from reprobation. Again, can the clay tell the potter how to make it? Do any of us deserve this great salvation? No. There is no injustice with God. Now I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 9. So just after when you get to chapter 9, forget what I said. Okay? So then you can hear it fresh from, from Pastor. And he says that just as it was written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. I love less. Now initially when you meet Jacob, you don't like him. Deceiver, the trickster. And then he says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills for the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It is all on God. And we say, well, that's not fair. Well, we don't want God to be fair, because if God is fair, what happens? We're all going to hell. And then it says, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he be the firstborn among many brethren, to conform, to be like. The work of the Spirit in our lives is that we will be conformed to the image of God's Son. That is the sanctification process. And then Jesus, the firstborn. Now again, when we translate words, firstborn is a, is a tough one. Okay, Prototokos, prototype. But God, Jesus is, is preeminent. He is before all. There wasn't now, again, this is, this is hard to, to wrap our heads around, that eternity came together with the temporary, and that's Jesus. As the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, eternity came together with the temporary, that he who has always been was a baby, had to have his diaper changed, God, had to learn how to walk, had to learn how to talk. How do we wrap our heads around that? And so as the firstborn, he is the ultimate. He's primary. He is the utmost. We are to seek to be conformed like him. And as that, when it says firstborn, it's, it's metaphorical is what, what, the, what it's saying here. But it means that he is the entrance to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And it says that, he is our restoration from the damages of sin from the garden. He's our interest to this future resurrection. Christ brings us into a new ethnos, a new nation, a new nation of 
of believers. And now I'm about to finish up. And it says that, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That is a mouthful. And so this is a progression. So we are predestined by God. We are called by God. We are justified. Now, this is a legal term. We are declared free. The penalty of our sins was paid through the suffering, the scourging, the crucifixion, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are declared not guilty. That Jesus went to court and he said, Father, I know that that is a no good, rotten, despicable sinner. But I'm going to take that from him. And you put it on me so that he can be free. That is the justification that God has has given us. How do all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose? That is God. Jesus was glorified. We one day will also be glorified. That is when all of these things that we will rejoice, that today we are the church militant. We are the body of living Christian believers striving to combat the evil and sin in this world. What is our goal? Our goal is that one day we will be the church triumphant, that we will be in heaven. We will be in glory forever and ever and ever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does all this do? What is all happening? What do we all prayerfully get from this? Well, understanding that only those whom God has called, only those who are loved by God, this is our confidence, this is our hope. Our security is in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the culmination of all things working together for good. This is why we can and we will endure the suffering, the pain, the depression, all these things that we go through. Why? Because we love God because he first loved us. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.